Hello, and welcome to the Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back issue spotlight, I'm joined by James, and we're going to be discussing Naomi number one through six from 2019. James, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing, John? Apparently tired. I nearly said it was from 1920, and it's like, no, that's <laughs> too far back. This is a fairly new property. Yeah, fairly new, but I'm surprised. I didn't think it was three years ago, but yeah, it's been a while. It it has been a while, and I will tell you, it was because we recorded this for Weekly Comic Spotlight 598. Yeah, I remember we reviewed one of them or something. The first issue. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. Yeah, and ironically, this is still going to be the first time we've actually discussed the first issue, because I recorded that while I was still in Glasgow a few days after my dad died, and you were so flexible, and you had recorded your clip and sent it to me so I could kind of you know get my stuff done when I could get it done, get the episode up. You were really helpful for that, and I appreciate that. Oh, man, that, no, no problem. But this is the comic, so wow, that brings us back. Yeah. So at that point, reading the first issue, for me, I was reading it in the absolute wrong frame of mind. Anything I would have read just would not have resonated with me, probably. Since then, time has passed. I've read the rest of that, this whole series, which I reread again this past weekend. Yep. I've started the first two or whatever of the second volume. We'll get to that after we talk about this, because the time gap between them was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> Read them all at once this time versus, again, as they came out after we talked, you know, done the other thing. And I've since watched the first and only season of the TV show. Yeah, and that will be the only season. It's canceled. Yeah, and this is going to go up right after the Friday episode where my sister and I have talked about the TV show. You, of course, haven't had a chance to listen to that episode because, you know, I need time to edit and yada yada. Yeah. But a totally different read for me this time around. And I'll be honest, as I was going through this, a lot of the the notes I was taking was, some of it was just on the comic, you know, here's Bendis being Bendis and stuff like that, but some of the comments are, well, that that's different than in the TV show. Yeah. I remember there was differences with the TV show. My wife and I, we only saw the first, like, two or three episodes before she's like, I'm not, I'm not enjoying this. I want to watch something else. Mm-hmm. She had no background in the character. I wanted to watch it, compare it to what I new in the comics. But yeah, it, it, it read very different reading it back to back and going back and looking at it. It was so bended, so decompressed. And I can't, I, I forgot how little actually occurred in the comic. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, that was the amazing thing because I were, it was like, it's kind of like you get four issues or five issues into it before you get an info dump telling you what the heck's going on. Well, and we get a fairly serious info dump in the course of this series. Now, I mean, for me, the series, the TV series only getting one season did yeah. not surprise me. Okay. I was surprised it got made. And they did a good job on the show. I enjoyed it. But, I mean, y- your wife's comment that she didn't have any background in the character and stuff, I'm like, who does? <laughs> Honestly, we didn't have much. Yeah, I mean, the writing staff couldn't have because, I mean, they, the six issues of this was about, well, as far as solo feature of the character, about all there was of Naomi at the time they started the show. Yeah. She since showed up in a little of Young Justice as kind of a, a guest star. She inexplicably, inexplicably joined the Justice League, which I, I still don't get. It's weird. 
Uh, and just, you know, recently, like in the last month or so, they started the second volume of this. Yeah, I feel like we're still at a point with this character where they have never fully defined her power set at this point. I mean, we know things about her power set, but they've never just clearly, this is who she is and what she can do. I mean, I know she's strong, but there's other weird things that happen that's not, never been fully explained in the comics. Well, and that definitely f- carried through to the, the the TV show, because this character is a bizarre mishmash of a modern kind of coming of age kind of character. Yeah. And what I would consider super old school super heroics in terms of they have powers and they get more powers when they're narratively convenient for the writer. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we need something to happen here. So, by the way, here's these cool little lights doing this thing. Okay. <laughs> and one, one power she had in the TV show that I didn't see here anywhere, not that there's a whole lot here in, in a decompressed six issue arc by Bendis. But she had super speed. Oh, that's never happened in the comics. Not that I recall, but I'd have to go back through the Justice League appearances and the, the Young Justice stuff here. Certainly not. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, so... But, I mean, this is this is a Bendis comic, so to say not much happens here is a little redundant. <laughs> I mean, it's true. We start with a first page of talking heads that don't really say a whole lot. Yep. And, I mean, this is so Bendis. It, it is. I mean, you get to that basically almost like the third page because there's like some splash pages, but mm-hmm. where they're showing all the people in the town and the little bubbles that kind of go back and forth, back and forth. And just Bendis, when he would do that, fill up a whole page with the people talking back and forth, but the, nothing happens in the story. He's trying to make you care for him and show you that these are real people. But at some point, I'm like, okay, this has nothing to do with the story. I wish I could have just skipped all this. Let, let's go to that two-page splash where we've got the vertical panels of all the, the, the word balloons. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. Okay, we're trying to treat these as people is what essentially you said. Yes. Now we've got Naomi, I think it's Annabelle, and somebody else, another friend of hers. Yep. We've got the cop, I guess the guy from in front of the barbershop, but he looks like he ought to be out of a diner or something. Yeah, he's wearing an apron and a little hat, yeah. <laughs> Everybody else is literally grayed out to, to, to clearly tell us they're there, but it doesn't matter. Yep. I mean, they're not characters. They're literally props. Yeah, they could almost be concrete statues back there. I mean, based on what they look like, they almost look cement. It would not surprise me if we were to put this comic in front of, say, my sister or your wife, somebody who's not a regular comic reader. It wouldn't surprise me if they thought that. Yeah. What are all these little statues back here? It'd be like, well, uh, those are the characters that we're not supposed to be focusing on, and so he does this, and they wouldn't get that. They're the extras in the scene, essentially. Well, why didn't they draw them? Well, I guess the uh, the colorist didn't want to. <laughs> Artistic, you know, expression. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because this scene and the two-page splash before it where Superman's fighting Mongol and stuff take place in the show... But, like, Mongol's appearance is literally a blink and you miss it. And it's like, I think it was him, you know? But it was so funny because I could see so many of the things while I was rereading this of, yep, this is where they pulled that from, this they took from the comic, this, okay, they radically changed or whatnot. But a six-issue miniseries, I would say, is the rough narrative equivalent of a pilot episode of a TV show. I mean, two-hour pilot, if you're generous for a, a Bendis story decompressed, uh, probably an hour episode. Yeah. And the fact that we even get Annabelle as a character here, or at least the token best friend here, that I'm pretty sure is Annabelle, but 
this is Bendis. It's not like he names the characters up front. He doesn't. And that's another thing that's kind of frustrating. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Bendis' writing in so much as it's enjoyable. I'm not going to say I respect his writing. Yeah. Because, again, there's a lot of talking and not much being said. We get to a couple of pages down, or maybe it's further in, where she's with the psychiatrist, the counselor, whatever, for the sole purpose of exposition. You know? And it's like, why? There's a lot of those things that are a little bit frustrating. I don't know why he chose to do things in a certain way. And I, I felt like, and I, I know it's Bendis, so you go in and you almost got to tweak your brain that this is what you're going to see, that he puts a lot of useless dialogue in here to humanize the characters, which is a pro and a con at the same time. Because yeah, if it, you know, young James, you know, or, or first time reading Bendis James, I'm going to be like, man, this is kind of cool. I, 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 I like this character. She's a person. I, I, I can connect with her. But now I'm reading multiple comics, James, and I've read so much Bendis. I'm like, ah, oh, this is a Bendis, Bendis thing, and this is going to have nothing to do with anything. I almost feel like I should skip this page and get on with it. <laughs> well, the page where we're at, I don't know, the lake or wherever, and all the teenagers are there, and we've got the, the horizontal panels this time. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now when I said that. <laughs> Ton of ton of dialogue, but in some cases the characters are literally far enough removed from us, they're almost in the background of that first panel as we're, I guess, kind of zooming in. There's a white outline around them, which almost kind of takes them like out of the scene, like it's a, a the equivalent of, of like it's green screened in on the background, which we know it's not because it's a comic, it doesn't need to be. Yep. <laughs> it's weird. But while we're getting these characters' dialogue, I'm not getting any sense of well, who's who? How are they related? Are these just random teenagers? Why is she hanging with them? Who's her best friend? Who's not? Whereas in the show, they built up a fairly sizable cast over the 13 episodes of nearly a dozen regular characters. One thing I remember from just seeing a couple characters that they told you who the people were, which is one thing, and it seemed like they were playing a part in the show. And here you just get, it almost feels like randos, random people just mm-hmm. showing up. I don't know who I'm supposed to focus on. The only one that I know I'm supposed to focus on is Naomi, and that's it. Because I don't know if I'll ever see the guy in the red pants ever again, or the this person or that person. It's just random people just chit-chatting, saying stuff. Well, the the best friend character, the one in the shorts with the black top who's kind of yep. dancing around or whatever, we see, at least I think that's her who we see later, I think that's Annabelle and such, who is, again, a, a major character in the show. And she's here... But as a prop of, we need somebody to say something, we need a friend sort of a thing, not that her character's the least bit developed. Yeah, we don't know that she matters, and we don't know if she's supposed to matter, or like you said, like that prop character. So it's kind of weird that he doesn't, and he almost, it's like he was writing this comic that he was going to get a 50-issue run out of this thing. And he he obviously didn't. He got a six-issue run, and then three years later, he's getting the second six-issue run. Well, he was behind Wonder Comics, so he's why she was over in Young Justice, and he took over Justice League, which is why she showed up over there. Yeah. Is the Wonder Comics thing still even a thing? Did that disappear? You know, I'd have to go check the cover of the latest Naomi. Like, I know they had the comics, but I don't know if they're Wonder Comics now. I don't know if they've they've gotten rid of that or not. I yeah. don't mean to throw you a curveball in the middle of our recording. <laughs> no, I think it's a great question because I think they've gotten rid of that, that whole imprint in the new Naomi series. I don't think is part of it. 
I think so too. I think they kind of spun her out and then they stuck her in Justice League because this Wonder Comic thing is not a thing. And now they're like, oh, here's her her new miniseries. Well, I, I think they refer to it as a pop-up imprint in so much as they knew that in that day and age, even a few years ago, these things weren't going to last anyways. So yeah, kind of admit defeat before you start, maybe? Yeah, I remember we got the Wonder Twins. That was another one that was kind of kind of fun. That was a six-issue thing that went 12, though. Yeah, so it did get extended. You could argue success there. Success versus this one, which I stopped at the six, and that was it. Well, I think they were planning arcs like that just so he didn't have to do a, a, a monthly book each and every month. Yeah. The, the, the weirdest thing that it, for me with this with the Bendis writing in here is, okay, I felt like very little happened here. So you kind of figure out a little bit of stuff about Naomi, but not very much at all. Mm-hmm. It's more about her being in the small town and she has friends and she's young. And then you get the, basically the second comic, you get that guy D, who's basically well, the... We get him at the end of the first. Oh, yeah. The, the end of the first he's shown, and the, but then they expand on him. Yeah. I, instead of her, he becomes almost like the focus for an issue. It's funny because in the comic here, this guy may as well be the stunt double for the Hulk. He really is. He's huge. He is <laughs> and, gargantuan. And I'm like, how did they put wings on this guy? Where are his wings? Where are his wings? <laughs> well, the tattoos all over the thing. It's funny because here he's running an auto shop in the show. Yes. He runs a tattoo shop whose defining characteristic is it never has customers. Like, Ah. ever in the show. And nobody comments on that, but it's like, okay. And this character in the comic of D, he never really worked for me because I don't know if he's just got PTSD or what he's going through, but he seemed emotionally stunted. Yeah. Whereas in the show, he had almost a zen aspect to him. And part of it, I think, is they got a really good actor for the role, but it... The character worked so much better for me in the TV show than he did here. Yeah, here it was kind of kind of weird. He came off a little bit clumsy at times, mm-hmm. and he doesn't seem like a Thanagarian at all. Like he seems too big from what you've seen of the of the the race, the people like Hawkman, you know, with the wings and stuff. I, I would agree with that entirely. And while they've got a few that are maybe a little more muscular than others, it's he's way too big. I think. To, yeah, to... he looks like the Hulk, like an 800-pound guy. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't it call just... him Hawkman. You'd call him Turkey or something. I mean, geez. <laughs> um, but the the thing I find so funny about that comment you made, though, about does he you know, seem Thanagarian, is pre-crisis, all the Thanagarians were much more, I don't want to say, well, compared to this guy, scrawny, but regular-looking dudes, not these beefy, the, the guy is the size of a, a, a Volkswagen Beetle kind of a thing. Yeah, I'm looking at issue two, and I think it's the second page. He puts his hand on Naomi's head. Mm-hmm. His hand is bigger than her head. I'm yeah. just like, I'm like, okay, that this guy's the Hulk, basically. He's the Hulk at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, he's covering, he could cover her whole head with his hand. I'm like, that's, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the scale on that is just nuts. And he's a lot nicer to Naomi in the show than he is here. Yeah, very nice to her at all at the beginning. Like, get the heck out of here, kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just, uh, I don't know. Once again, you get to this weird thing that she thinks this is, might be my dad because we, we find out she's adopted. And you you get that whole past with, with uh, Bendis. We know he's adopted kids. Mm-hmm. And so this is like an homage for his daughters, you know, a comic written for them who've been adopted. But then uh, he, she starts thinking this is her dad, but he's like, I'm not your dad. And then proceeds to go into his history. They did that whole who am I question and stuff way better in the show. 
Yeah. And here, when we get to the next scene where they've cut to her at the house over the dinner table or whatever. Yeah. The framing of this, where it's all her and we see the arms of the parents. Yes. That's telling me right there, they don't matter. They don't matter at all. Yeah. I mean, they play a part in the story and they play a bigger part in the show, although I think they were frankly handled better here than there. It's just, we're getting such a solo feature of Naomi. I mean, I it's a solo title, I get that. But the way they are, are isolating her from even the other people in the scenes sometime, some of that's visual, some of that I think had to be in the script, and it's just, I guess the part that bothers me about that, it's not a bad character, but it was put out there and forced upon us as if it was a big deal character. Yes. It, 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 I felt like this is someone, when I was reading it, and I remember I enjoyed the first issue. I was like, this is, this is good. It's not the best comic, but it's, it's good. And I'm like, this is someone who I feel like may matter in the future. And I feel like it's, it, it's someone who really hasn't mattered at all. I, I was going to say, we're now three and a half years in that future. When we were reading that first issue and stuff, thinking there's potential for the character, I mean, there was. But three and a half years later, it hasn't been realized, in my opinion. Yeah, and for her to be on the Justice League is just so bizarre because it's such a a character. I, I don't want to say she's not important. I, I, I hate saying that. But it, of so little impact on the entire universe, on on other books. And she's even been in other titles, and they try to put her at the forefront, DC does. But I, I just feel like I, I, we haven't been made to care. And I, I, I'm still not 100% sure on the power set. Mm-hmm. And, and although I like her, uh, I, I feel like Bendis might have messed it up by the way he presented the character in this first series. I think so. I think so. I think making it seem like there was this big deal secret about who she was and whatnot. I mean, y- you look at the blurbs on the covers. Yeah. One of them is stating truth. The next secret's revealed. And, you know, the the origin of DC's newest hero exposed and unleashed and all of these things. Like, it's this this grand mystery being revealed. It's like, it's a standard opening arc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, what was, I, I hate to say that it was funny, but it was really funny. But I remember, okay, I'm reading issue two, then I get to issue three, and I'm like, okay, I'm learning all about this Thanagarian's background and all about him and his family. His wife, or, or Naomi's mom's coming in and slapping the guy. And then we get the reveal on the parents. And then the whole next issue is about the parents. I'm like, all right, I'm four issues into this thing. I know more about this guy who works in the auto shop, who was in the tattoo shop and the TV show. I know more about her dad and mom than I know about Naomi. And I'm four issues in. Well, it's funny because while we get all this exposition, because we get the two-page splash of you know, they're on Thanagar and all this stuff, I know more about D here. I care about more D in the show, and all I really know is he fought in a war with Superman, he's Thanagarian, he's got wings, he doesn't use that often. Really, not a ton else. I mean, the, what's her name here, Quayla or whatever, she's mentioned in the show, so there's that. But they're telling me so much about the character here in a way that's, that's massive info dump and not making me care about the character at all. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I, 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 I didn't feel like I cared about D. But I felt like I was given so much information on him. That's <laughs> like, wow. Well, yeah, again, to your point, six issues, and they pause the story in the third to go tell us somebody else's origin. Which is weird. I'm like, okay, I want to know about Naomi. Uh, this is a truth mystery, truth revealed. And I'm like, and I'm learning about everyone else. And it was, that was the frustrating thing. And then when you get to that fifth issue, 
it literally is like, here's a picture and I'm going to write all this text. I'm almost reading prose at that point. Oh yeah, on. absolutely. And I was just like, those prose info dumps just killed it for me at that point. We get the info dump in the third issue about D. We get it in the yep. fourth about Naomi's dad. About his dad. Yep, her dad. And then in the fifth about the alternate world Naomi's from with the 29 and all of that, which I'll be honest, I had totally forgotten about when I was watching the show. And that was a big part of the mythology in the show. And I'm like, where did this come from? And I'm reading here. It's like, oh, I guess it did come from the comic. Yeah, I'd forgotten all about it. (laughs) But, I mean, they do such a massive amount of exposition in a fairly, I don't want to say clumsy manner, but just, again, it, it drops from a comic to an illustrated story. Yeah, it really does. You get to those two-page splashes, and he starts off with giving you like the text dialogue boxes mm-hmm. just around the outer edge. So you get that, and you're like, okay, another two-page splash, another splash, another splash. Then it's like, I got so much text, I can't even fit it into a text dialogue box. You get a basically just a narrative of text written on a big picture. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what are we doing here? <laughs> well, I mean, going from the, the string of captions that are just collapsing down the side of a, a, a page or whatever to, yep, I'm not even going to bother with the captions like you said. I mean, we go through how many pages here of, okay, she's in the ship. We get a lot of captions, but the voice in her head dialogue yep. on one page, a two-page splash, which is kind of wasted, and a column of, of caption boxes on, on the side followed by a two-page splash of nameless people that we're never really going to find out who they are of the 29. Caption, 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 caption. Another one where here's the thing and a string of captions on one column on the side. Another double-page splash like this. And then we get to the one where it's like, you know, we don't have room for the caption boxes. We're just going to toss the white text on this. (laughs) And it's like, part of it, it's funny because the, the way the art was done, they kind of had to taper the dialogue at the top versus the bottom it almost looks like a star wars scroll at that point it really does now that you say it i'm like yeah that looks like a star wars scroll yeah and i'm like and there is a ton of information here so it's weird because not a lot was happening you're learning about everyone else and then it's like here you go bendis figured out oh i'm up to five issues i'm near the end of it let me give them what they need to know boom here it is and it's just painful at that point (laughs) reading that I, I, I hate to say that because it's an important, I'm assuming important info, but they don't really go back to it that much in any of the other comics. Well, I, I think they're going to deal with it in the quote unquote season two of Naomi, the, the, the comic book. Oh, okay. And we're just now starting that up. And again, it takes Bendis a couple of issues to get up to speed on things and, and get the story rolling. And then he runs out of time. So he's just, you know, doing a massive info dump. Yep. And... It's funny, because at the end of this fifth issue, we get the dramatic, you know, here comes the big bad to to shake everything up kind of a deal. Yep. And I didn't care for the way the character was depicted. He was almost lost in the shadows with his face and stuff. But Zimbardo here, totally different character in the show. Okay, and I never got to that in the show, so how how is he depicted in the show? Not the... Did you remember when they've got Naomi and Annabelle kind of walking through town, and they kind of pause a little on one guy who turns out to be D. They go to a uh, buy a used car lot, pause by another guy, a black man in a suit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Zimbardo. Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Who is is portrayed one way at that point and very differently by the end of the series. And they had an interesting arc for him. 
he was a much more interesting character than than this guy here yeah, in the yeah. comic. This guy they essentially renamed Brutus in the show and and made him another character. Oh, interesting. And it's funny because here we find out in the comic that Naomi's adopted dad is from Ran. And there's the whole Ran Thanagar war, which is why he and Dee don't get along. They take that butting of heads aspect, although not the Thanag- the uh, Ran aspect, and transfer that to Zimbado. So you've got oh. these two guys that know each other, don't agree with them, each other on anything, but eventually it's like, well, we got to pr- protect Naomi and such. So both of them get a pretty good arc there. The problem is that takes that part of the interplay between Greg, Naomi's dad, and Dee out of play in in the show, and Greg is now just this random alien guy. Ah, interesting. Interesting. And I think they were saving the reveal of who he was, because they tease it at the end of the season, but it's like, well, you're not getting a second season, so who cares? (laughs) It will be revealed, or never revealed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's funny, because there were a lot of things as I was reading at this time, I'm like, okay, this is where they pulled the the bit for the 29. Uh, Akira did come in, you know, from the comic and stuff. She's mentioned as a friend of Namu's birth mom. It's about all we learn. But she does some stuff in the second issue that she kind of sort of does, although it plays out differently because the situation's a little different in the TV show. But, you know, I can see where they're pulling stuff from. And I can also see where it's like, yeah, they didn't like how, you know, the parents were in the comic, so they went a slightly different way in the show. But still true to the spirit of the comic, if not what was literally in the comic. Okay. So now, um, they never disclose anywhere, either in the TV show or in the comics that I'm aware of, what Earth she came from. They do in the show. In the show. Okay, what Earth is she from? If you had to guess, what would you guess? Oh, gosh, I don't even know all the Earths. <laughs> uh, the, the, the main Earth that we're from? Nope. Oh, okay. Then what, what Earth? Okay, there's the 29. Okay. She is from Earth. Earth. 29? 29, yes. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, how creative. Ah, uh, Earth 29. I mean, it, it, it played, it was as good a thing as any, but okay, why is it called Earth 29? That That's an odd coincidence. Yeah, I th- and then they said a crisis has happened, but I'm like, what kind of crisis? Or is it just the environmental crisis they're talking about? This was an what... environmental crisis. I think he just wanted to... To play the word. into the, the, the fact it's a DC comic, so let's let's use the word. Yeah, because they kept going on this environmental thing, which I was like, cool. And I'm like, is he trying to say that the crisis happening on our Earth, if this is our Earth, is we're destroying the environment? I, I didn't know what angle he was taking, so I was like, what is going on? Okay. I mean, an argument could be made that the the crisis uh, from Crisis on Infinite Earth somehow impacted this world, but you've got to do it through the lens of... It couldn't have been the actual crisis on Infinite Earth since all the other worlds were destroyed. And maybe it's one of the, the I'm trying to think how to phrase this, the, the retoolings, retcons, and reboots of the crisis story, where it happened, even though we've got a multiverse, a monoverse, a, a, a quasi-universe, multi, you know, I mean, as, there, as the accordion goes in and out of, is it a, a universe or, or a multiverse for DC? Yeah. Maybe in one of those, somehow, Earth-29... Didn't get wiped out with everything else, but did get impacted. Yeah. But it's like, who cares? One thing I have to tell you, which I found very humorous in the comic, because it's a teenage girl thing, I guess, or a teenage boy, whatever, teenage girl or boy. You know, dad's going to come out and reveal, hey, I'm giving you this big secret. I'm an alien, blah, 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 telling him all this stuff, giving her this info. 
what does she do? First thing she does is run into somebody. <laughs> like, I'm like, you know, just spill the beans. The first chance she gets, it was hilarious. <laughs> well, I gotta say, the way they used the Annabelle character in the show was great. Oh, okay. She was very much the stereotypical plucky best friend. And here you don't know, she doesn't matter. She really doesn't. She's got no defining characteristics here. She happens to play the cello, but who cares? Yep. And that was kind of gratuitous. I guess she's got to be doing something while they're video conferencing. Yep. Yeah, she doesn't matter here. Whereas in the TV show, Naomi's got a boyfriend. Annabelle's got a boyfriend. Naomi's got a wannabe boyfriend and a wannabe girlfriend. You know, I mean, they've got half a dozen high schoolers floating about that, that have names and have a purpose in the story. Whereas here, Annabelle shows up, but are there any other... I mean, we saw in the first issue at the lake and a few other places, we saw other teenagers. But can you name them No. and tell me how they fit in the story? No no clue. I have no clue who any of them are. They're just randos, random kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... And again, it's an entertaining story here in the comic. Yeah. Provided you're able to, to put up with some fairly hefty exposition dumps and, frankly, tangential ones to Naomi's story. Yeah, that's the weird thing. It's like, it's it's not a horrible comic. It's just, I feel like he didn't wisely use the pages he was given. He wasted a lot of space so that it almost required info dumps and they're like massive info, info dumps. And I felt like if he would have spent more time talking about Naomi instead of going into the dad's background or the mom's background, they could have used that as a teaser at the end. By the way, honey, there's something I wanted to tell you. Which is kind of sort of what they did in the show. Yeah, that would have been given us more time to learn about her and how she maybe discovers her powers and tell us how those powers work, you know, like showing her do something and be like, oh my gosh, you know, I just realized I'm strong. Oh my gosh, what is this? You know, almost like that invincible type thing. Yeah. Well, and if she was realizing she could do stuff, that'd be one thing. But here and in the show, some of the powers, we never get any explanation for them other than she's the chosen one, effectively. If that's how it feels. It's like weird, and it just happens, you know? Boom, there's something. Okay, what's this? <laughs> but, I mean, as confusing as her story is and stuff, I think the way it was told here in the comics, I'll be honest, I got to a couple of places where I'm like, there's, uh, I think it was back in issue two, this two-page splash of this this fight going on. Okay. And I'm like, who are these people and why is this showing up in this comic? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it didn't seem like it, it, it's not Fanagarian's fighting. I don't know who this is. I don't know how this plays in. I mean, maybe that was what was leading up to her mother running with her through the portal or something, but it was so cryptic or whatever yeah it just kind of appears out of nowhere i'm looking at that page now and i remember i got there i'm like it, it, it seemed like it had nothing to do with the story i'm reading I'm like what is this what what's going on and there's no dialogue to make me pause on it for any length of time no you're just like okay and then boom you immediately flip and if you look just shy of dead center what the guy in the, the there has in his hand may be naomi oh yeah could be that's the same reaction I just had as I was sitting here before, you know, starting to talk about it. Oh, wait, maybe it does play in. Yeah, but the fact that I've I've read this again, and hell, I've watched the show, I've got... I think the show does a better job explaining what was supposed to be taking place in the comic than the comic kind of does, even though it was telling a different story. Yeah. And Bendis' writing is decompressed. It's it's fun. It's a roller coaster ride. He is a good writer. But in terms of plotting, pacing, 
and effective use of space, there are way better. Yeah, way better. It's kind of disappointing because I think what I used to love about Bendis is when I, you're reading Spider-Man at the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. when he when he's writing it and you, you see that back and forth dialogue and you're like, okay, we're humanizing the characters and then you get into the story. But I think he's slowed down even more with his writing style. Well, it's all flavor, no substance. Exactly. So he, you you read it, you instantly know it's one of his books. You get that almost like, I hate to use that term, but it's almost like a charm factor. Wow, I know these characters. Wow, the real people. But then it takes him forever to get to the meat of the story. And by that time, how many people have you lost? And if you think about this, you and I, we spent probably 24 bucks buying this. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we got a discount from Cowabunga, but most people spent 24 bucks buying this. And you get to the end and you're like, it was great art. It was a decent, it's okay story, is good. Uh, parts of it, but you feel a little bit frustrated because not much happened. I wish there was some empirical way to measure story content in terms of reveals, story beats, or whatever the metric would be. Yeah. Because there are a couple of places where, again, we get a two-page splash with no dialogue, and I could argue whether there's any story on that page or not. I'm on another one where the dad and, and Dee are meeting up at the football field, and there's like, on the two-page splash, I don't know, 30 panels? Yep. And there's some plot going on there, maybe not as much as the number of panels might imply. And it's like, the words per page versus the story momentum per page. I- I'd love if there was some way to, to, to literally chart that out and see how he stacks up to others. Yeah, because I, I, um, I would almost wager that you get a lot less story with him. And and that's who he is, you know? Well, it's a different type of story, I think, is part of it. Yeah. Because you get a lot more of the the banter. Yes. The flavor. You're not getting the intricate plot that you might get for some other writers. You're not getting, like, the world building you would get from either Greg Rucka or, like, a Kurt Busiek sometimes. Yeah. And actually, you know what? I would say he's all, because of that, he's almost easier to read. Sometimes, if you're a new reader... Like, if, I think if I was a newer comic reader and I read this, I'd feel like, oh, sh- this is really kind of neat. You know, you, I feel like I know this girl. Oh, this is cool. Or I know Spider-Man. This is cool. But you, you're not going to get that big thing and in, interwoven really in-depth, you know, like riveting stories. You're just not going to get that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm wondering if other people would come out of it thinking, I had to do a lot of chewing and I didn't eat a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, I, there's all this reading, all this dialogue, and and really not much happened in some places. Whereas others, it is so dense in the exposition where, you know, just, just volumes are being revealed on a couple of pages. Yeah. And it's it's the uneasiness, an unevenness of that. And just the, again, he, he's got the reputation he's got, both good and bad, in terms of being decompressed and stuff, but also a widely respected writer, as he should be. He's done some great stuff. But it's a style that... It's like as I've been going through some of the, the early Legion of Superhero stuff in its golden age, you've, you've commented, it's just not for you. Yeah. Absolutely. His style is not for everybody. You know, there are going to be some people that love Bendis' writing. There are going to be, it's like, come on, move the story forward. Or... I don't know, maybe show me this, not just throw it all at me, you know, in some dialogue or a caption. Yeah, yeah. No, I I know exactly what you mean, because I, I think Bendis, the more that I read him, and, and I think I commented on this when we've talked and you know, probably on the mm-hmm. forums, too. I used to really love Bendis, and I find myself loving him less. And I don't know if he's really changed 
I thought maybe when he had the health issues, but maybe I've changed where I'm just like, I almost feel a little bit of frustration. I'm like, okay, I don't want to read all the little bubbles back and forth of them talking about, you know, what they saw on Instagram or whatever it is that he's writing about, you know, all the minutia, not even the minutia, the, well, the filler. Just the filler banter, and it has nothing to do with the story. And I, I at that at this point in my life, I feel like it frustrates me. And that might be old man James. You know, I'm going to be 49 in October. <laughs> hey, I'll cop to being the grumpy old man at times. And there are certain ports where it's like when we go through what was that stretch? Eight, ten pages of of you know exposition with images and such. Yeah, I feel like you're not again showing me the story, but recounting it to me in a very, I don't want to say a dry way, but you know what I mean. It's its not pulling me into the story when you do that. Yeah. I wonder if we're changing, and I think it's us. If I had to put my money on it, I, I, I know he's changing too. He's getting older. But I'm wondering if, if we're changing as readers as we get older and that slow, slow pace and not giving you the information that him having to dump. At that point, maybe we're you get a little frustration, even though I wouldn't say it's written horribly. It, it's just, all right, let's get, let's get there. Come on, man. Let's go. <laughs> well, I definitely think that we, as all readers, evolve over time. Yeah. That's a good thing. I think writers and artists evolve over time. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> sometimes they evolve in a way we like. Sometimes they don't. Yes. But to say that I've grown to the point where it's just not for me or whatever, I, I guess the problem I have with that line of thinking is I'm able to go read the new Teen Titans stuff from the 80s that I loved back then, and I'm still loving it as much today. Yeah. I'm able to go read the early Legion of Superheroes stuff from, in some cases, the 60s or even a little earlier sometimes. And still loving it. And still enjoying it, yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, to your point, I'm reading some really decompressed stuff because I'm reading manga right now. Mm -hmm. I'm getting caught up on my manga stacks, and I'm reading something, I I, I think it's pronounced Gleipnir. It's it's really weird. It was in my shipment. You saw it in the box. I, I listed my comics. And I'm reading a, another one that's called Alice in Borderland. And I would say manga is usually pretty decompressed because you can mm-hmm. read you can read a whole volume in one They're, sitting. They tend to be breezy reads. They would never have the level of exposition or dialogue that this had in places. Heck no. But I'm finding I'm enjoying some of them a heck of a lot more than I enjoyed this Bendis comic because I get something out of it in those 180 pages, let's say, versus here I'm getting about 120 pages and I feel – I didn't get, I didn't learn anything. I didn't get anywhere. And so I, I would say the difference is maybe not in the decompression, but I think it's a Bendis thing. He's not giving us enough. I would agree with that. And I think that is compounded by the way the series was pitched and marketed Yeah, as being a big thing, as being major reveals. And I come out of it thinking this was just a teaser for the next arc. It really is. It ends on the story that continues in the pages of DC Comics and in Naomi 2. Okay, issue 6 came out on July 10th, 2019. <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> Naomi 2, number 1, came out on March 9th, 2022. So that's a two-and-a-half-year gap between... <laughs> two and two-thirds. Yeah. Uh, 139 weeks. That's ridiculous. And to tease something of, yep, it's it's coming right up, and it takes two and a half years over? I granted, Lord. pandemic, other stuff going on, excuse, excuse, excuse. But, and I'm not saying Bendis is making these excuses or something else, but to build this up as she's going to be the next big thing in the DC Universe, and then she's relegated to, to guest appearances or whatever, because they can't get another miniseries out. 
Yeah, that's ridiculous. For for whatever reasons held it up. There are at the end of this second mini series going to be twelve issues of Naomi comics. Yep. They did thirteen episodes of the show. <laughs> that makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. And the character, certainly at the end of the sixth issue, has powers that are ill defined. I don't know what they are, why she has them, other than she's again the chosen one born to be special or whatever. I don't know what rules make them operate by. There's so much I don't know about the character, like what she's going to do and why. Why is she worthy of the Justice League? I mean, half the members of Young Justice she hangs with are better fits, both in terms of tenure, experience, etc., for the Justice League than she is. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it boggles the mind. Yeah, and her power set, from what I've read, I haven't read everything she's been in, but I've read a lot of it. It's the power pops up when it's needed, like you said. And I still don't know this is exactly what she does. Or I just feel like I, I'm like, man, I'm, we're three years into this. I still don't, really don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is weird. I don't know that I've read everything she's been in. But read quite a bit. But I don't know of anything she's been in that I haven't read. Yeah. I mean, I've read all the, the Justice League she's been in, the Young Justice stuff she's been in, obviously the Naomi stuff, although I haven't read the latest issue that came out. Yep. But... It's not a bad character. No, not. It's not. It's really not. It's an original character-ish. Yeah. And I say ish because it's it's not the Superman arc exactly, but, you know, adopted, alien, has powers, came from another Dune planet, yada yada. It's got the similarities. Yeah, it's very similar. And this is another character that Bendis has put out, similar to Riri Williams' Ironheart over in, in Marvel that he had a particular agenda for why he put the characters out there. And I don't have any problem with that. Me neither. I think it's great to get characters that look and act different than all the others we've got there, you know? And if it checks a diversity box as well, so much the better. But what I liked about this character is she was able to, to come out and not be a, a like a second-generation Iron Man like Ironheart is. Yeah, she's her own character. Yeah, and I think they took the spirit of the character in the comics, ran with it well in the show, but man, I read these six issues, it's not something thinking, wow, I think they ought to make a TV show on this. Yeah, it it was almost surprising. I remember when they announced the TV series, I was just like, wow, wow, really? Because she just hasn't been around very long. We don't know much about her. I didn't know much about her. I was like, all right. And then I started to watch it. Like I told you with my wife, I, I probably watched three episodes and she might have watched two. And she's just like, oh, I think this is boring. I don't want to watch this. <laughs> well, there was an aspect of decompression in the show just because of the comic it's based on. Yeah. And my wife's got that with the TV series. She's like, there's so many things we want to watch and so many TV series out there. If it doesn't hook her in the first two or three episodes, she's like, ah, let's try something else. And that she really liked Longmire. Mm-hmm. Yellowstone, she likes a little bit less because it, it was a little bit slower getting there than Longmire. Longmire got to the meat of the story pretty quick, and I we enjoyed it, which is funny because Yellowstone's very, very popular. Well, coming out of the gate with a strong start, I think, makes a big difference. This series came out of the gate with a Superman guest appearance and her whining about not really having seen it. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes issues for her to develop into, you know, this is why she's the lead character. Yeah. And we have to go through two or three other characters first to figure out why she's got the name on the cover. Yep. Unfortunate. Yeah. 
decent read. I liked it better this time around than the first time, but extenuating circumstances on the first. I'm glad we circled back to it. I just, I still don't think this character is as big of a deal as she's treated, either joining the Justice League, getting a TV show, or, or, you know, any of those things. I would agree with you there. What's odd about this is when I read that first issue, I naturally just like her as a person, and I want to know about her, but then it it just doled out so slowly that I get to a point where I don't care. (laughs) And that's unfortunate. I would say continue with the show then. Okay, well, I'll watch it even if my wife doesn't watch it. I'll just... What what happens is if there's a show that I want to watch and she doesn't want to watch it when she's doing something, I'll just flip it on and watch an episode. And yeah. then when she comes out, I change it. I felt they had a good cast for the show. They captured a lot of the better parts of this series, this comic series in it, and didn't focus on the parts here that didn't work so well. Yeah. So overall, I I, th- I think it was okay. It was okay. I mean, it was it was good to okay, more on the okay side than the good side. It, it is definitely not a great comic. I'm still shocked she's in the Justice League. <laughs> Are you getting the new volume that's coming out these days? I am. Are you planning if they do a third to get that? After reading the second volume, I'm kind of debating with the third because I, I feel like I don't need to read it. I kind of almost bought it because I knew I've been with the character since the beginning, and she's in Justice League, and I'm at this. Well, and she had a TV show. Yeah, and so now by the third volume, I'm like, yeah, I think I've read enough. That's about where I'm at. I think after the second one, if there if a third comes out, if it's got a good premise, maybe, but it's not one that inherently is going to pull me in just on the name recognition of the character. Yeah, because this second volume's feeling a lot like the first to me so far. Yep. Kind of yeah. sluggish in places, and I'm sure there'll be some major exposition dumps, which I'm just not in favor of. Me neither. <laughs> At least when they did some of that in the show, we saw what they were doing. It wasn't just, you know, random voiceover or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of funny that we're both feeling the same way about this comic. Hopefully, I'm hoping for good things, but I'm not expecting great things. Yeah. it's about where I'm at. Anything else? Nah, that does it for me. Cool. Recording clips for the preview Spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview Spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview Spotlight. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.